the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, friends. Thank you for joining us. This is The Bible Live. Soapy here on the mic and Jacob across the table from me, ready to get into the scriptures again this evening. We are, what we're going to do, we're going to finish up almost Almost going to finish the book of Isaiah. I'm going to finish it. You're going to finish. You started it. You're going to finish it. Well, we're we're starting at chapter 40, which is that. Uh, well, I don't know. According to our understanding, it's a kind of that magic changing point where the uh, where the book changes tone from from announcing judgment on all of these different nations uh, st- around you Israel. Tell me, it's a changing station. It's a changing station. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is. And we're going to chapter 40. We start picking up the message of hope. Comfort ye, comfort ye. Is the first word. That's words. why it's, he's uh, the prophet of consolation. All right. Hey, uh, but you know the old joke speaking of changing, right? Uh-huh. Do you? I don't, well, I know uh, a lot of jokes about well, changing, but uh, let well, me see. Okay, so what happened is, you know, in the... Uh, in, in a nursery in a Baptist church, uh-huh. there's a, where all the babies are, Right. it says, there's a sign that says, we may not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, I love those where you read about these announcements. It, it, they have, uh, sometimes they have the humorous things about announcements that were uh, Put up in in the church bulletin or on the church marquee and something in there. Some of those are so hilarious that uh, Overeaters Anonymous will be meeting somewhere and somehow they use the back doors. Or the, or the, 
the, the both doors open up or something. Oh. I don't know. It's it's stuff like that where somebody didn't mean to do it, but they just accidentally. Sure. Uh, I read one in a, like a, a Jewish bulletin one time, a really articulate guy, just one of those little errors, uh-huh. and he said, "This is the." F- this is the first time and only time we've ever done this. And then the next paragraph, he says, the first time we did this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little confusion there, then, no doubt about it. Well, we're in the book of Isaiah. We're going to start at chapter 40 tonight and talk about the this uh, just remarkable, not only individual Isaiah. He, If I remember correctly, he preached, he ministered. In the time of five or six different yeah, kings, he's, he's on a, a long, time, long, yeah. mem- uh, long ministry, and um, like I say, sixty-six different chapters. I mean, it's, it's uh, over a great of course, period of time. Of course, there were no chapters at that time. That's true. That's true. I kind of wonder what they would have. Th- yeah, sometimes you wonder what they would have done with the a- chapters. Actually, actually, we do have a clue because all portions in the Torah have a name. Okay. So, uh, now in today's Bible... Were those respected when they did the chapters? Oh, yeah, thing? sure, okay. sure. In fact, in the book of Luke in the New Testament over on the Christian side of the Bible, you say, <laughs> actually, the whole Bible belongs to everybody. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, You were telling me that in the elevator on the way up here. So was, here's what happened. Nice of you. Um, in there it says in chapter 4... Uh, it says he says something about he turned he opened a book which was a scroll yeah. of course and he found the place that said now they can't say chapter or verse because there were no chapters or verses right uh-huh. so the only way they can put it is he found the place if they said the Hebrew name you know everybody would say what's that uh huh so uh, there's actually ways doing it. now the reason I say that is about Isaiah Isaiah has uh, seven portions in it that is called a haftor, or the, uh, it's part of the prophets that are read with a section of the Torah. Uh-huh. So uh, you could know the names. like So sometimes, like, for example, I know one of your uh, your love scriptures is or chapters, chapter 53, right, Soapy? Uh, yeah, yeah, my beloved scripture, 53, yes, yes indeed. Uh, however, you should know this, that it actually, that portion actually begins at the beginning of 52. Okay. So, if you knew the Hebrew name, you can look in it, it'll still, in today's Bibles, it'll have chapters and verses in the Jewish Bible, just like the Christian Bible. However, it'll also have the portion names. It'll have both. So you so the Isaiah fifty three actually goes with uh, fifty two. Okay, it, would that change uh, our understanding of any? Uh, any? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Hang on a second. I'm looking at. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I'm looking for that chapter that you just mentioned in Luke chapter. I thought chapter it was four, six. Uh, if memory serves, it's sixteen or seventeen. I thought it was six. Where he, he's there, he's in, uh, uh, he's in Nazareth, right? He's in his own hometown, and well, no, he, he calls goes, for the he goes scriptures. Into the synagogue, and it says he opens up and he reads a portion of the prophet. What he's reading is Isaiah sixty-one. Right. Uh huh. I thought that was. Hmm. Uh, uh, six well, try four. or eleven. Try four. Try four. Okay. And that's sixteen or seventeen, something like that. Okay. Uh, By the way, do you think Kathy will call again tonight? Uh, uh, I don't know. I hope so. That is, she was really good last week. She 
kind of stirred the pot, didn't she? Four was when he's... Are you calling me a pot? <laughs> oh, there he is. Jesus rejected. Returned in, uh, he went to the usual synagogue on the Sabbath where he grew up in the village of Nazareth. And uh, he stood up to read the scriptures, and the scroll of, of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. Uh-huh. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where this was written. There it is. There and it the is. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good notice, okay, news to see, the poor. It, you see what its phrase it says. Uh, he found the place <clears throat> it says. Uh-huh. Now, the very first time I read that, I knew. I know we're going to do Isaiah tonight. The only reason that's relevant is because he's reading from Isaiah 61. Uh-huh. Now, the first time I read that, I said, well, there's three possibilities. One, they recorded it exactly right. Two, they did not record it correctly. Or three, uh, he uh, did it exactly that way because of a Roman law. Now... He read. He was reading a portion of Isaiah because they always read the Torah portion, yes, uh-huh. and then they read the prophecy yes. portion. But in this case, he only read the prophecy portion. Right. So, and you were wondering why? Why did he not read the other portion? Well, that's right. And, if we, and at that period, uh, the Romans had adopted an ancient Babylonian law that the Jews could not have the Torah, but they could have the prophets. So if you the head but the portion of the prophet would have the same name as that portion of the Torah. So he, if the Roman soldiers were present and he read uh, that portion of the Torah, he could have got maybe everybody killed. But by reading only that portion of Isaiah, anybody that knows that that matches up with a certain portion of the Torah knows what portion of the Torah it goes with. So he's sort of talking in front of their face, behind their back. Behind, yeah, uh, play, uh, what is it? He saw the hidden in plain sight or something like that. <clears throat> but he, anyway, um, anyway, so it's fascinating. And he reads from the book of Isaiah. Uh-huh. So uh, I don't know how to really start our conversation tonight from the book of hit, Isaiah. I got an idea. It's already started. You got idea. Uh, I got idea. It started. You sound like my grandson. I have idea, Grandpa. Grandpa, I have, I have idea. Well, it, it, yeah, I, I have idea, Grandpa. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Well, okay. Well, give me one of your ideas. I was really, uh, I guess I was kind of interested in, I was telling you on the way up, there's so many yeah. portions in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the uh, Torah and the prophets yeah. and so on, that, um, <clears throat> that point us. And I remember as a kid reading all these, pro- what they were called prophecies from, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from Zechariah, from Malachi, from you know all, Micah, you know about Bethlehem and so on. And I, and I looked at all, and I... I just began to be so absolutely overwhelmed with the, with, with the. It seems to me almost um, uh, clear, without any. Um, Is there something you'd like to share? I, with I'm us? trying very hard to put this out, but it seems just almost open and closed case. I thought, wow, it's how so clear. So, how can somebody not see this? It's, yeah, exactly. And and I, uh, and I've always wondered that, and I don't. I have any real answers. I mean, we can all, in our mind, in our understanding of Scripture and God and His ways, and so we make, we kind of try to imagine it. But I, I do wonder how in the world all these prophecies and that we read about in Isaiah here fifty three is is just, it just seems to be talking so clearly about um, a, a, a man who 
like Jesus, <laughs> who experienced what Jesus experienced. And and I I not I guess what it is. And now there, again, we can't generalize. There 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 are thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe we millions. Just generalize. Okay. Let's just generalize. <laughs> well, there are there, there, lots of Jewish people, Jewish men and women who. Who look at those and go, yeah, yeah, that's Jesus, you know, and they and yeah, they go along. And and but, indeed, that may be correct. Of course, you know, there are lots of Jews that don't. They don't, yeah. That's and I, I wonder. In fact, what, you know, coming how into can that, we be I was so listening different? to a radio show, and uh, and the radio show had a Jewish lady on it, had been raised secular, uh-huh. in, a, in a non non-religious home, uh-huh. and uh, she was Jewish, and uh, she's just written some book. I didn't catch the name of it. Uh, but she uh, basically accepted Jesus, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and so. And when I heard that, I thought, well, there's a, an example. There's one for Soapy. Um, however, uh, you know, you just oh, she dropped. Your well, paper there is more than one. I well, know that. Soapy, you dropped your paper when I said that. What's that mean? <laughs> it means that I'm clumsy. Oh, I thought uh, I thought you went into shock. But yeah, but but yeah, they do. They and yet at the same time, I. I just, I don't know. I think there's just something there. Well, what you're saying about this part of God's plan in some way, shape, or form is that this this mystery would survive. That, that there would still be this time of the Gentiles and so on. Uh, it, it must be, but but there's just too many good, wonderful, God-loving men and women who who somehow just seems like. They, they don't see it, or they seem to be waiting for that second coming mm-hmm. before they make up their minds about him and so on. And, I, and I'm, as I told you last week, I, I, I do wonder a tiny little bit about sure. that. Yeah. I mean, I can't take responsibility no, for somebody wonder. else's. Don't wonder. Let's leave it up to God. He'll handle it. That, that's, that's, I'm willing to do that. Uh, and yet it does worry me a tiny little bit. Of course. You just can't stop from worrying, can you? <laughs> I mean, I, I care about people. I don't want any, and I want. It's well, not only it it's not only better? about heaven and would it make you judgment feel and so any on. Better. I don't know that this will make you feel better. Would it, would it make you feel any better? And of course, this is going to come as a uh-huh, nail uh-huh. biter, and uh, to maybe uh, oh, a half million of the audience anyway. Um, the uh, the um, is a. Now Jews, you're wanting to say something, yes, right? Yes, the Jews are going to go to heaven. <clears throat> so don't worry about that. The Jews are not? They are. They are? They are. Okay, well. So don't worry about that. That's on. That's in the authority of... Uh, that's me. I just said y- it. You, you just me? said it. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I trust you. I love you, brother. But, uh, but you don't probably not it. on the same level not, as I trust yeah, the book I understand. here. It's not the Christian <clears throat> theology. And I really respect that. It's like Our Lady Kathy that called last week. I, I 100% support her. I want her to believe what she believes. I want her to practice what she believes. I think that's great. However, uh, if we're going to have a dialogue, we need to hear what the other person is saying. Sure, that's right. Uh, if we're not going to have a dialogue, then just listen to me. But see, <laughs> the, the other thing about it is I can, I can actually agree with you. Well, of course you can <clears throat> because the smartest people do. 
I'm so sorry. I'm getting choked up here. I'm uh, yeah. so emotional. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. So emotional. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I, I, I there are portions that say and all Israel will be saved and so on. And so there's a there's a way that I can see and understand that. I suppose uh, that I would. Think, yeah, we're sure all Jews, all Israel will be saved because we Israel is made up of, of those who uh, love God with a heart, mind, so and it have come to see uh, Messiah and receive Messiah by faith and so on. So, I mean, there's a way that I can work around it, but but I'm not sure. It's, it is kind of a workaround. Well, let, but let, in the end, you're right. It, it's, uh, it really is a function of every human being makes their own decisions. And, and I suppose that means every human being takes their own risk of believing what they choose to believe and, and and I suppose that every human being has to live with the consequences of their own decisions, their own beliefs. I, I understand that. I'm not worried about that. Well, great. But uh, it, it does it does still uh, confuse me to a great extent. I was reading this I week. I thought you told me just a moment ago, just a little bit. <clears throat> now it's a great extent. A great extent. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm, I was I'm back and forth that. on so many things. But, but I was reading uh, this week about... Uh, this uh, the story about someone taking eight of the prophecies, uh, over three hundred prophecies they say are listed in the Hebrew Scriptures about Messiah, what he would be like. Now I don't know if can I ask many of those I've that? read about. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. Uh, is it what he will be like or what he will do in those prophecies that you're talking about? Both. 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 They had to do some with where he's going to be born, some with the ways well, he, he would he act. Do, not what there would be healing in his, yeah. you know, that he would heal the, heal the sick, the lame would walk, the blind would see. See, but see, now you, you gave me a list of doings. Those you are doings. You given me a list of his qualities. Of his qualities would be... Uh, that's okay. It's, it's not a trick question. I know it's not, but they're, they're full of both, you know, these prophecies, well, these predictions yeah, about the characteristics. I want the to know that you said that, not me. The characteristics of the Messiah. What? You said they're full. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Lord forgive him. He knows not what he does. Yeah. Is that good? That's a good one. That's right. Yeah. That's, a lamb takes care of that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, the the point was is he said they took eight of those prophecies uh-huh. And they logged them into, you know, put in logarithms. And uh, if you study mathematics, you know the field of probabilities. You know, they, they can calculate probabilities. Like in the dice, and what are your probabilities of rolling a certain number, so on. And, and the point is, is they uh, calculated the probability of one, uh, of one individual fulfilling those eight, just eight of the over 300 prophecies. And the answer came out to be 1 times 10 to the 17th power, which is one a 1 followed by 17 zeros. Okay. And, and uh, the, the way they explain what that would be like is if you took the state of Texas yeah. and you took silver dollars. Oh, yeah. And you covered the entire state. Yeah, the entire state of Texas. You covered with two feet of wow. silver dollars. Yeah. And then you and you go and you blindfold someone, and then you go and you mark somewhere in the great state of Texas. Yeah. You go yeah, and you yeah. put a, an X on one of those coins. Yeah. 
And then you take off the blindfold and you say, roam wherever you want, go anywhere you want, as long as you want. And then you pick up a coin. And the one in the 10 to the 17th power wow. is the probabilities of him picking up that one marked coin. Right. And so... When I read that, and you know those, and the ideas that the idea of these prophecies and so on, it just it's stunning to me. It seems clear. I I, I don't know how you deal with something like that if that is true. Now maybe the maybe the calculations are wrong. Seven. How did one person fulfill these eight prophecies? Uh, and they were prophecies that it explained in the, in the thing that they could be fulfilled, like they weren't. Impossibilities. They weren't absurdities. Like one person could fulfill them all, uh, and it just seems incredible to me that. that uh, and I guess one of the reasons I mentioned that is because Isaiah, particularly uh, that fifty third chapter, sixty one chapter, sixty one as well, uh-huh. other chapters, they seem to so clearly talk about uh, a savior, a redeemer. A suffering sa- a savior, a suffering servant. What, what question are you looking at? No, none of these really. I hadn't even started. I oh, just I this was just kind of general stuff. But we could almost take any of them. Let me see. Uh, what do you have? Who is the chosen servant spoken of in, in Isaiah 42? Uh, is that your no, question number three? Number three. Uh-huh. And, and, and got, that chosen uh, servant, of course. You've got chapter 42, 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Uh-huh. And it seems clearly to talk about... Uh, the Messiah. Well, no. Do y'all not have y'all? Is that not the way it was interpreted even before we came along and made up our well, I silly say, questions? In all fairness, uh, what, chapter fifty-two, fifty-three, they are one part that goes together. Uh-huh. Uh, however, I want to say, in all fairness, virtually all Jewish sages, prophets from the history, okay, they all agree that basically it's about the Messiah. Huh. Because it seems like, from what we talked about last week, that the overwhelming Uh expectation of Jewish scholars Uh and and even godly Jewish people Uh were that they fully expected that conquering hero, that conquering king. And that, of course, Jesus of Nazareth did not fit that picture. Well, you just quoted chapter 4. Forty-two, and, and and by no means is this a competition. Okay? Uh huh. No, I get it. But I just want to show you how things <coughs> kind of blend together. You just talked about uh, four, chapter forty-two. Well, just prior to that, back in chapter forty-one, forty-one eight, it reads this: "But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, who I have chosen." They understand Israel uh-huh. as a servant that it's being talked about. Uh huh. 418 418 but as for you Israel my servant Jacob my chosen one descended from Abraham my friend I have called you back from the ends of the earth saying you are my servant for I have chosen you and will not throw you away don't be afraid for I am with you don't be discouraged for I am your God so but the point is Mm -hmm. that we're we're focusing on the word servant I see it and so throughout the entire passage before we get up to 52 53 the servant idea was actually conceived in the Jewish mind to be referring to what it says there, mm-hmm. Israel or Jacob. Now, just as an interesting sideways, uh, don't you find it interesting that both the name Israel and my servant Jacob are both used, used continuously several times in the same sentence? 
Yes. Uh-huh. And we know that Jacob had his name changed to Israel, don't we? Yes. Now, why is it using both? Um, I don't know. It, it says here that there there is much debate about the identity of the servant. Uh-huh. Elsewhere, the prophet Isaiah, David, and the nation of Israel are all called servants of there God. Go. What are you reading? You got some kind of notes uh, some there? notes here from it said oh, the you New got Testament. Bible has notes. Yeah, yeah, that's cheating, isn't it? I suppose. Well, I don't know if it's cheating, but, but we it's enter this sexual. There's a lot of talk about servants in this in these passages, uh, 41, 42, 43, and so on. Uh, it, yeah, it does say there's much debate about the identity of the servant. I guess that would be uh, one of the core debates, right? Well, you see, I, I want to suggest this. That's the reason I did want to say virtually all ancient scholars, Jewish mm-hmm. scholars, agree 52, 53 especially, is about the Messiah. However... Uh, there's an issue of whether it's Jesus or not. Mm-hmm. But the Messiah is is an understood concept. But let's I tell you what, let's just take a look at that. Why don't you go over to fifty two? Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at that. The Lord here addressed Israel as his servant, as opposed to the servant of the opening verses of the chapter. Israel was faithless and stubborn. As a result, the nation found itself in exile. Mm-hmm. Isaiah con- consoled or counseled Israel to recognize the work of God in their history and return to God in repentance. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. What did, chapter did you say? Uh, well, since we're talking about that, let's just go. Let's take a look at uh, fifty-two because it really goes with it. Uh huh. And see if we can determine a few things from the sentences itself. Yes. No. We've already stated, and I do want to make it clear, that virtually all, not every, but mm-hmm, virtually all, mm-hmm. of the Jewish scholars and sages throughout the ages agree it generally is about the Messiah, okay? Yes. So we, we're on the same page there, you might say. Now, but let, take a look in 52 and... Uh, look at stuff. I, I love 52.7 we sing that as a song okay. yeah, yeah how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news good news yeah, it's, it's a well, beautiful I song I did not actually. know that song yeah, mm-hmm. did you know Rock of Ages originally was a Jewish song I don't doubt it yeah. um, anyway well, look it over at uh, let's say 13 52.13 I just thought of a funny thing to say. Okay, well, if you'd like to, we always got time for a <laughs> No, <fight>. no, <laughs> it's, it would be uh, cruel. Oh, I don't mind. As long as it's funny, it's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, 13. Indeed, my servant will prosper. Mm-hmm. He will be raised, lifted up, and greatly exalted. 14. Just as many people were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured, and his form was inferior to any man's. So will he shake up many nations. Now, the question is, let's say we all agree that, generally speaking, it does seem to refer to a Messiah. Mm-hmm. But, but, he's talking about shaking up nations. He's not talking necessarily about Israel. And he's also saying, is a lamp to my feet. What is the lamp? 
<laughs> well, it lets us know the music does that our first segment is already up. But we are into the topic, I guess. We've gotten to, down to it. We're trying to look at the book of Isaiah, and we're trying to take this theme of the servant or the uh, this servant one that we we tend to think clearly is Jesus of Nazareth, and yet it is true. The Bible does identify at times Israel as the servant, David uh, as the servant, and other figures. So uh, we'll continue this discussion. I hope you'll stay with us here on The Bible Live. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. The giver is the greatest recipient. Our Daily Bread. Today's encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional was written by Leslie Coe. It was a dreary week. I had been feeling lethargic and listless, although I couldn't figure out why. Near the end of the week, I found out that an aunt had kidney failure. I knew I had to visit her, but to be honest, I felt like postponing the visit. Still, I made my way to her place where we had dinner, chatted, and prayed together. An hour later... I left her home feeling upbeat for the first time in days. Focusing on someone else rather than myself had somehow improved my mood. Psychologists have found that the act of giving can produce satisfaction, which comes when the giver sees the recipient's gratitude. Some experts even believe that humans are wired to be generous. Perhaps that's why Paul, when encouraging the church in Thessalonica to build up their faith community, urged them to help the weak. Earlier in Acts 20, he had also cited Jesus' words, It is more blessed to give than to receive. While this was said in the context of giving financially, it applies as well to the giving of time and effort. When we give, we get an insight into how God feels. We understand why he's so delighted to give us his love. And we share in his joy and the satisfaction of blessing others. I think I'll be visiting my aunt again soon. Take inspiration from Scripture wherever you go with the Our Daily Bread mobile app. You can set reminders to read the devotionals and even take notes. Visit getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. National and local ministry shows you know and trust every weekday on AM 630 The Word. Like Through the Bible, mornings at 6. Know the Truth at noon. And the Word You Stand On for Life, afternoons at 4. On AM 630 The Word and AM 630TheWord.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Ariana Grande has just released another single from her upcoming fourth studio album, Sweetener. The single carries the provocative title, God is a Woman. Despite that theological declaration, the lyrics themselves are a lot more mm, fleshy. (laughs) 
The nonstop sensuality in the song and in the video reinforced the idea that a woman's worth depends entirely upon her sexuality. The song tells us that physical intimacy and God are essentially one and the same. Grande also protests men who objectify her, even as she ironically objectifies herself from start to finish. So I'll give God is a Woman a mere one half out of five for family friendliness. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family, plugged in. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. back. Thank you for joining us here on the Bible Live. We're into our discussion of the book of Isaiah, and we're kind of approaching it again, uh, as we did last week, uh, from this prophetic side. Now, I, I suppose there are aspects of the book of Isaiah that that don't feed into the discussion necessarily of Messiah. Uh, it, he In the first... Um, the first chapters, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, generally speaking, uh, is Isaiah's preaching, announcing a judgment, uh, warning the nations, not only Israel, but warning the, the there are seven nations around Israel that are, that are given warnings, uh, Moab and others, uh, in, in his preaching. And uh, it's an announcement of judgment that God is going to uh, kind of clean house. And he's going to to make things right. And then you start chapter 40. It becomes, and, and, of course, Israel is a part of that announcement. But then he starts talking about redemption, about restoration, about forgiveness. Uh, and, and that's where we pick up, in general, in a greater way, the theme of a Messiah, the theme of the Redeemer, the Savior. Uh, and uh, it, well, be- Jesus, it becomes yeah, a major Jesus theme. quotes a whole bunch of this stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, for example, uh, you're familiar in uh, John, uh, I looked it up today, John 18, and in Luke 22, he talks about, uh, if it be your will, take this cup from Uh-huh, I remember, yeah. Now, what is he talking about? Judgment, right? The cup of judgment? Yeah. Is that true? Let's or see that... if we can find it in Isaiah. All right, let's see if we can find it. Why don't you take a look at Isaiah 51? Uh-huh. And we could start at 21. What does your version say? 51, 21? Uh-huh. And, and let's see what Jesus is referring to. But now listen to this, you afflicted ones who sit in a drunken stupor, though not from drinking wine. This is what the Sovereign Lord, your God and Defender, says. See, I have taken the terrible cup from your hands. You will drink no more of my fury. 
I guess, judgment. Instead, I will hand that cup to your tormentors, those who said, we will trample you into the dust and walk on your backs. Wow. All right. Well, mine reads a little differently. He's talking to the nation, right, in that sense? Yes. Okay. No, but look what he's saying. He's saying, take this cup from me. Uh Mm -hmm. Well, now let's picture exactly what Jesus was saying when he quoted that. That's what he's referring to. So he's saying, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Well, what would it be? What would he be saying? Because look what it says in Isaiah. God is saying, I'm going to take this cup of wrath, of judgment, if you like. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of view it more than just judgment. I view it as punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said, I'm going to take this cup and I'm going to give it to your oppressors. They're going to suffer for what they've done. Payback is not a happy time. So, as I read it, is uh, Jesus is saying, take the cup from me. Give it to these other people right now. Let them have it. They got it coming. They've earned it. Pay them right now. Hmm. But if it's not your will, so be it. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, look, I, I'm praying that you do it. But if you decide not to do it, because uh, then... We'll wait till the time is right, and you do take the cup and give it to him. Because Isaiah makes it very clear that God says, I will take this cup from you, and I will give it to these oppressors. And so what's going to happen, it's not just for Jesus, of course, it was for all of Israel. And so Jesus says, because I, I looked it up today, and when I was reading it, I said, oh, this is, as I took it, he's saying, God, I'd like you to give them this cup. Pay him right now. But if he did, then there would not be a second coming mm-hmm. for the Christians, mm-hmm. right? I guess. So it uh, looks like to me, but Jesus says, but if this is not your will, then so be it. In other words, I'll keep the cup myself. And so it looks like to me that he's saying, give it to him now. But if you don't want to, I'll keep it. But we know the passage he's quoting is no, not my will, but your will be yes. done. Yeah. So he's saying. So uh, I will keep it for now. But in the future, we know Isaiah, this is what he's quoting, that you will give it to the oppressors. So that's how I read that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't seem outlandish by any stretch because Jesus was clearly a man of the scriptures he knew he knew both the torah and the prophets he so it wouldn't surprise me that he had this passage in mind i have never put i have never put the two things together and that's why i think uh, now look i don't want to be overly uh, generalized about us but i don't think that we gentiles are the very best at doing just what you talked about we're not good at putting together Jesus said in the garden of you know in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but your will right. be done, and so on. And you related that immediately. You go, oh, I've heard those words before. Sure. Exactly. Uh, back in this passage in Isaiah, where he talks about the cup pa- passing from, and, and so it doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all that that, that was exactly what was on jesus mind he i mean he his mind is full of the scriptures he know god he knows the the scriptures well and that may well have been what he was thinking about that he knew them very well yeah and and he may well have had that particular passage Uh, in mind it's uh i think it's the same because if if you you look in the english and you kind of take it to the greek and then 
clumsily take it from the Greek back to the Hebrew, it comes out about the same. Well, it generally makes sense and uh, wouldn't be surprising. Uh, is there another passage in reference? I know that the theme of the cup uh, the, the, is a, generally speaking, that's the theme of judgment. Like in Zechariah, we see the seven cups cup of, in, uh, in Revelation. Jerusalem will be a cup of tremble. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But there's another passage. Uh, is there a spot? I don't know where it's at, but perhaps you do, uh, where it talks about put on the helmet of salvation. And sure, the, well, Ephesians 6. Is uh-huh. that Ephesians? Uh-huh. Oh, that's where it's at. Well, where in the world would somebody have got that from? You want to guess? The, uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate yeah. of righteousness, yeah. the sword of the Spirit, and so on? Yeah. I thought they looked around and saw a Roman soldier and just sort of made it. Paul was. That's what I always. Paul chained to. That's what I've always heard. Some Roman soldiers. But if you would like to, you could take a look at Isaiah fifty nine and find the passage. <laughs> See that you guys are so good at this, you know. You know, really. Isaiah fifty nine verse what? I'll uh, start at uh, let's say, uh, oh, um, seventeen say. He put on righteousness as his body armor, placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in the cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so, what ha- so as I read it, I mean, if a guy was lecturing, giving a sermon, uh-huh. whatever, uh, well, home, yeah, there it is. And sir. he would be saying, this, righteousness, people would recognize from where it's from. The helmet of salvation, yeah. Huh? Yeah, we're always, we've kind of always heard, I think, in sermons sure. that, that you know, Paul was writing uh, that sure. book of Ephesians from prison, and so he probably looked at his left, and he was, he was chained to a Roman soldier on this side, so he went, sure. oh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, there's the sure. sword of the sure. sword of the Spirit, sure. and blah, 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 the shod with the, feet, shod with the uh, preparation of peace or truth, and, uh, oh, no, truth is the, with the, the girdle or the belt that he wears. So, uh, yeah. Well, but there it is, right there in the book of Isaiah. You have well, and here's another one. I seeming you reference. Might, you might find interesting. Forty-five seven. Uh huh. Forty-five seven. This is one of those passages that really I found is very problematic for everybody. What verse? Uh, Forty-five seven. Oh, he said that, didn't you? I did. It says here, I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Yeah. And in the version I've got, of course, is I create light and dark. Uh, I make peace. I create evil. Now, this is one of the passages that the Jews understand that, uh, let's say, angels or Satan I, I know Christians do, but uh, they interpret uh-huh. that there's no free will with angels. So that's and that's one of the things to get it because everything is created by only one Creator, God. And so if He creates light and darkness, He makes peace, He makes evil, whatever. I do all this. Um, so it's an interesting passage because if it, if He creates the evil. But evil, actually, in all fairness, is more like if I'm chopping a tree down in the woods and the tree happens to break off too fast and hits the guy that's working with me, that was kind of considered evil. Even though we might call A bad nice. thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, if he creates it, that's a really interesting proposition because if we're not real careful, 
he gets the credit or blame for everything. I see. I think I see what you mean, but I'm not sure I do. But I, I, I you get it. I, I create the light and make the darkness. Huh. This was well, a, a confrontation of, like, especially the Canaanite and the Persian belief that there was dualism in the world, a good God, a bad God, that kind of stuff. Uh, because, of course, yeah. the Persians had that. The yin and the yang and the this and the that, you know, the, yeah, well, the positive Persians and the have, negative. Have the idea, had a religion that basically was based on the idea that there was a good God and a bad God, and they're always a tug-of-war. So Isn't that what most? We, I was talking about that in our family this last week. We were talking about the, this concept. That, wasn't that the basis of most of the mythologies? For the Nor, you know, the Norse mythi- mythology, the Roman mythologies, the Greek mythologies, Zeus and Mercury and and all these. Uh, wasn't that the idea that there was the, with that that there was the, kind of the both the good and evil? I mean, they were just. Uh, glorified humans, really, with egos and selfishness, and right. so. Um, and people, some people believed in those things, right? They, they actually believed in those. I think a lot of people still do. Isn't that interesting? It makes me understand why, in a, in a sense, it makes me kind of wonder, understand a little bit more why. Why, when Paul went around the, the Roman world at that time, when he started announcing uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the fulfillment of these prophecies, and that the Messiah had come and conquered death, I mean, it was such a clear opposition to the idea. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, it was a, unlike, he wasn't like, the, he wasn't just a, a kind of a big imaginary man. You know, he, he was a, a being, in other words, he didn't... Ha- he wasn't. No, he didn't have a temper tantrum, and he like some of the mythology, the gods of mythology. They did. They, you know, they just had. Uh, they got mad at each other, and then they had these little bickerings and fightings among themselves, and and then they'd get mad with Hercules for you know because he did this or that. In other words, those were gods who were just really made in our image. They were just we created gods right. like us, but but bigger and powerful and all that. I guess. And that's what people were used to in that day, I guess. Well, yes. And so when you come across with a with a God who is righteous and good and faithful and truthful, and and there's no ambiguity and there's no uh, compromising his his well as his I character said, and so on. As as I've said, and you're here, and I'm just saying this for conversation, uh-huh. but um, you'll hear in many, many, many churches. But how could the Jews get involved in making a golden calf? They just saw all these miracles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, <clears throat> they did go along with it. Uh, and that was their sentence going along with it. But the ones that made the golden calf was the, what's called the mixed multitude. Right. Because uh-huh. that's what they said. Here's your God, O Israel. Well, somebody's saying it to them. Uh-huh. Anyway, but the point is, but the golden calf is actually thought to be one of the greatest acts of shall I use the word uh, forgiveness, repentance, salvation sure. for the Jews? Yeah. And so the golden calf is a great thing because it challenged God right face to face. You might say. Yeah, and Moses here, was up on the mountain talking to God, getting the Ten Commandments, and right. God and had been so, so good to them, bringing them out of Egypt. Yeah. And, 
And right now, picture this. Here's a mountain. At the top, you got the fire and God. At the bottom, you got a fire and God. They're making their own God at the bottom of the mountain. Uh-huh. And this is so important. It's it's one of the greatest blessings the Jews ever experienced was being involved in it's making the an amazing teaching point, wasn't it? Yeah. Dad, do you know why? Because he forgave them. Yes. Because on Yom Kippur, that's what Yom Kippur is about. He forgave them. Now, the gods they were used to, as you're saying, coming out of Egypt, they were not kind gods. They were cruel. They punished. They did not forgive. So this was the first experience that the Jews really had that they had done something really horrendous. Except when they repented, God forgave. Speaking of repentance, would you like to see a problematic verse in Isaiah? Um, I don't know. These problem, problem, problematic verses get me in trouble sometimes. But let's look at it. Well, let's take a look and uh, let's go back to 50. Well, the, the verse about light and darkness is not problematic. Well, <clears throat> you, you didn't pick up on it, so. Um, so well, let's it, it's not problematic to me. Okay. But <laughs> okay, good. But not everybody's as brilliant as I am, so. That's true. <laughs> Uh, however, look at fifty nine twenty. <laughs> That's true. He don't believe it a word he says, folks. He just he's just playing me along here. Isaiah fifty nine, okay. Uh-huh. Fifty nine twenty. Twenty says. Do you want me to read it or? Yeah, sure. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. Boy, that's an interesting verse. Read that again. The Redeemer. Uh-huh. Let me see. Should I start a little? Do we know who that is? What well, the context of this? Well, I'm going to show you something that's very interesting. <clears throat> Go ahead. Yeah, however you want to start. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back, redeem those in Israel who have turned from their sins, right says there. the Lord. Do you see what it said? He, the Messiah, let's say the Messiah, will come back, or God, whoever it is, will come back to regather it's in hebrew it's teshuva it's to bring them back you know Mm -hmm. uh uh, turn back repent for those that have repented right isn't that what it says Uh now with your finger held there look over at romans 11 26 okay romans 11 26 i know what this is going to be i already figured it out but okay Uh, and I've, I've kind of 1126 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved as the scriptures say. And then it says, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Is that a quote from Isaiah? Well, I want you to 59? look at the two. Do you see anything that catches your attention in the between those two verses? Well, yeah. He says, um, <clears throat> I will t- uh, turn Israel. Uh, one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. This is my covenant with him. He will turn them away. Uh Uh But in Isaiah, it says he comes to those who repent. Uh Uh-huh. I see. Okay, okay, sure. So 
Is there a way to resolve that? The Redeemer will come back to Israel to to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. Who have turned, yes. And this says he, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from their sin, their ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, no, not fair. I ask you. <laughs> I ask you first. No. Um, Today we'll listen to our second speaker first. Go it ahead. seems to me like they have two functions here. One who turns people back from their sin and and then the one who um, turns Israel away from the godliness th- takes away their sins. Could it be that one person serves both roles, turning people away from their sin and then I think that's the only happy way to resolve this. I think you got to use Isaiah to say the re- people repented. Then, let's say, God or the Messiah forgives them. Yeah. Uh, And the other is that he leads them away from their sins. Well, the emphasis emphasis in Roman seems to be turning as Uh opposed to repenting. So I guess we could work it out that they repent. And then they're looking for somebody to lead them which way to turn. Would it be safe to say that Paul felt like he had figured it out? I mean, Paul is the one quoting the passage, right? Yes. Well, I, I think Paul probably did. I don't know about the translator. So, so Paul kind of you would think that Paul had a, I a clear Paul, idea in his mind. I, I about think what, Paul had a, a very under very clever and deep understanding of the languages and you might say Jewish theology. And, and do you, did can you explain? <laughs> Can you explain his answer? How did he reconcile the two views? Well, I suspect that the one is the repenting, because it's clear that when they repent, and the reason I brought that up is because we were talking about repenting, and Yom Kippur was forgiving for making the golden calf. Right? Uh-huh, yes. That's why it's so important. Without that lesson of the one of the worst sins you might be able to commit, without a lesson, the Jews wouldn't have had the idea that this God forgives. So, so is it the Messiah uh, who rescues, who will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness, and then the, this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins? Would that be speaking of the do the... God taking away their sins because of the, but the work of the Messiah is to turn Israel away from their ungodliness. Would well, that be it, an answer? Well, Would that be a possibility? I, I, Jewish theology is is that if you repent, God forgives. I think that's pretty similar to Christian thought, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. It, it, if we re- repent, yeah, there you go. Based on the work of the Messiah, though. Well, no, yeah, that, Even it, it, I don't. I'm trying to re- make these two things in harmony. Yeah, well, the, the Christian I, idea is that we repent and God forgives us, but the base, the basis upon which he can, he can forgive us, uh, is not our repentance. Right. It's it's that Messiah took our punishment. He, the wrath of God. Now he has taken that punishment on our behalf, and therefore now we we have been redeemed we've been set for we can be delivered from the judgment because of the work of messiah would that be a way to reconcile well, that uh, that's a passage? little different than i was going to approach it but if that works for you i'm good <clears> with it 
But look what it says after that yeah, in Romans. Yeah, many yeah. many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, uh, and this many, not all, and this benefits you Gentiles, yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for God gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share so that they too will share in God's mercy, for God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience, so He can have mercy on everyone. Well, you wow, see, what a brilliant argument, really. Well, you see, a couple lines back uh, that you read something about uh, He. Uh, well, I, I forgot. Go back to two or three sentences. Yeah, uh, it comes out of that passage. He quotes from Isaiah. And then he says, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. Oh, he quoted Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. Yeah, yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, now that's what I wanted to stop you at. Now, I know this is a a different thought, but, uh, you know, knowledge is supposed to make us larger, not smaller. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Jews don't have uh, passed down sin. Right, okay. They only have... Uh, who, who, they only have passed on merit. So the Jews don't get something on their own because the Jews are sinners like everybody else. Uh-huh. So when he's quoting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying, look, there was the promise to them that keeps them in the covenant. If it wasn't for the promise of God to them, they wouldn't have it. So the Jews pass down merit. They do not pass down sin. Now, if a person does sin, then they, they're sinning because they're doing it. But they don't have the concept of what you would call original sin, and that's fine. I understand that's a Christian thought. And well, so, it's not necessarily original sin that's related to it, but it's the sin nature. Uh, we have inherited a, a sin nature. Okay. That, that, that's probably more exactly what you're relating to, is that we have an irresistible... Even in the little Again? Goodness. Never seem too big to we have an irresistible, irrevocable tendency to selfishness and sin. Um, that's the idea of the sin nature. It came okay. about as a result of the so original everybody sin. Everybody has the propensity to sin or not sin. Sure. And so, uh, but we have the tendency, the irrevocable, irresistible tendency to sin. Because there's no one that you know or I know that doesn't sin. Right? I can't say that. Really? Mm, that'd be interesting. We're going to ask him about that when we come back. 340-9585. That's our phone number. And the Bible Live will be right back. Tis so sweet. Trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise Just to know Thus saith the Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? To trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, and in simple faith 
All right, we are back. Our final segment. This all of this hour is just flying by. These ninety minutes, and we're talking about the book of Isaiah. And yes, we could look at it in its historic perspective when Isaiah wrote, and under these five different uh, uh, rulers of Israel and, and Judah in the south, and uh, we we can talk about Isaiah and his message, and and yet we're really kind of homing in on this concept of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And Jacob is really, really encouraging our conversation about this understanding of the Redeemer, of the Messiah, of the Savior. And and it's it's so funny, Jacob. We do have these, we do have these, this, these, We've got. Would it be true to say we've got one set of Jews on one side telling us Messiah has come, the Savior is here, Jesus the Messiah, He came, He took upon Himself our our sin and so on, and and then we have a, a whole another group of of Jewish people who love Jehovah and 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 they love the Torah and they love and they're saying and there's and they're saying no, He's not the Messiah necessarily. He's and, 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 and we're confused that we Gentiles. I don't think the issue. I don't think the issue is Messiah. Uh, Messiah is generally across the board a reasonable concept, and every, I think everybody, Jews and Christians, agree on Messiah. I think the Christians certainly believe and accept Jesus is that guy. Uh-huh. Listen, there's one thing I do want. I know we got to take a couple calls or something real quick. Sure. But I want to tell you something real quick. Now, when Jesus is in Luke and he reads that thing about. Um, uh, and, uh, Isaiah 50, yes, 61. Uh-huh. 61. Actually, let me just read this real fast for you. It says, uh, he says, this, Jesus is reading, and he's reading from a scroll. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Lord God means both justice and mercy. Okay. And is upon me. For God has anointed me to bring good news to the, this version says, humble. Uh, he has sent me to bind the wounds of the broken heart, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release for the imprisoned, to proclaim a year of uh, favor uh-huh. for God. So the, what that jubilee, is, is that that's the, idea? the year of jubilee. So we know when Jesus is reading this is in the jubilee year. That's every fi- this is actually a grand jubilee. Uh-huh. Uh, Shemitah. 50 it's, years. It's 50 years. So, and if Jesus' ministry lasted three years, and this occurred at a time, we can nail this down to the exact date when Jesus gave this. Yes, pretty amazing, Isn't actually. Amazing? Yes, it is. Uh, and you've done that, and it's in your book. It is, yes. Uh, <laughs> he won't tell me, folks. He just says, it's in my book. You've got to read my book. book. Yeah. Okay. You got Let's it. go talk to Harold. I think he's on the line uh, with us. See if we can bring him up. And uh, Harold, are you on the phone with us tonight? I am. I'm glad to hear your voice. Well, that, thank you very much. Yeah, uh-huh. no, I thought I'd. I better give you a hand tonight. Uh, <laughs> are you in the, are you're not at the normal barn, are you? No, I'm, no, I'm not. I left there around seven or so, and uh, he's going to. I drove by my sister's for a little bit. He's going to help us out. He says, uh, okay, Jacob. Well, well, I got to help you out. I got to help you out. Oh, he's going to help me out. I'm the seem to be the one. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. First of all, you know, I like Thor a whole lot and Superman, and those are my two heroes. With the uh, comic book heroes, yeah. You know what the S stands for? Where Superman comes from? It stands for hope. But you know, I was going to ask you really on the more serious note, just this thing about original sin. 
uh, I, I guess Jacob was saying that the Jews don't believe or those groups don't believe that, you know, we're born with original sin. I don't like the idea, even born and raised as a Baptist. I don't like that idea, but people want to say that that's the way it is. But back in the days of Noah's Ark, you know, to me, the sin went in with the with Noah also. You know, just because they were chosen or he was, he found grace or, you know, the side of the Lord, uh-huh. it, it doesn't mean that sin didn't go in with him. And actually, I guess sin had to go in with him, but uh, that's why he was righteous, because maybe for a little while he chose to do the right thing, but he still had, you know, the human, you know, they still had sin in them. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't any extra special beings. I don't know if Jacob as, was to, uh, As was demonstrated when they came out, right? They made a few mistakes there when they when they left the ark, I guess, uh, yeah. drunkenness or whatever, but... Uh, I don't find that to be such a controversial thing. I I believed in I believed in original sin and, and the sin nature of man long before I actually knew the passages because you know I grew up with in an orphanage with four hundred hairy legged guys and every one of us were sinners. <laughs> it wasn't even a theological yeah. concept. We were we were all bad at at times. You know we all did bad things and so. To me, it's all—it's almost one of the most observable, you know, truths that you can imagine is that every human being is a sin, and and so it seems to support the idea that that of the sin. Nature I hate to of start man. out that way, though. You know, I, you know, I hate to start out that way. Sometimes, you know, I've been to a few weddings, uh, not mine. I've been only one of mine, but. And they start out with that original sin thing, like some kind of a guilt that they're putting on each those two right then and there when they're getting married. Uh-huh. And that was a bad taste in my mouth. But <laughs> just one more thing, you know, just one more thing. I'll let you all go because I was getting late. Uh, you know, the thing about Noah's Ark, you know, the more I read and this and that, and I actually saw some commentaries in the NLT study Bible, actually the Christian study Bible, which is very, very good, and it says, you know, for students, and believe me, as much as I know, I'm a student, still, still uh-huh. a student, Yeah. but it's it, it says that it's not necessarily to believe that the whole world was flooded completely, that something to do with the city of Babylon, that could have been fl- flooded with people, at, you know, after God dispersed all those people, the world was flooded with all these different types of people in uh-huh. different languages, but anyway... That that's what I've been reading this week. I'm gonna let y'all run unless James. Uh, James, uh, I tell no, you what, you no, run, but... and we're just gonna sit around here and watch you run. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good luck. I'll see y'all next time. All right, pal. Thanks, Harold, for giving you us know, a call. Uh, Soapy, since he mentioned Noah, he actually jogged my memory about something. Uh huh. Look over at uh, something very interesting. Isaiah talks about Noah. You know. Okay. Tell and, me where. Uh, 54, uh, 9, 10, 11. Really? You can, yeah, you can read it if you want. It's 50, 54, uh, 9, 10, 11. Yeah. It's interesting. Why don't you go ahead and read it and see, right what, after those see what he says about Noah. <clears throat> Just as I swore, uh, this is God speaking, you're of at course. Nine? You're at 9? Uh-huh. I'm really fast with my Bible. I don't know. 
I'm a sword drill winner. <laughs> Just as I swore in the name of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. So he's talking about Noah, right? Yeah, verse now, 9. This is uh, English translated from the Hebrew. This, 9, this is like the waters of Noah to me. And this is the chapter 54. He's talking uh, about the future glory right, of Jerusalem yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and God's re- restoration of his people. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. For your creator will be your husband, the Lord of heaven's armies, and his, is his name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great compassion I will take you back. In a burst of anger I turn my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never let a flood cover the earth, mm-hmm. so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. See, now let me, the let me, let me show you how the this disappear. comes across mm-hmm. a little differently. Uh-huh, okay. Now, just choice of words, choice of translation. <clears throat> of course, I'm reading the English from, directly from the Hebrew, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, 54 9. This is like the waters of Noah. It's actually called the waters of Noah. It's not called the flood. It's called mm-hmm. the waters of Noah. Just as I swore that Noah's waters would never again flood upon the earth. Now, why Noah's water? Mm-hmm. You see, if we just say the word flood, we may be missing some little something. Mm-hmm. Except, the, actually, the translation... Per precise translation is the waters of Noah. Now, why would it be the waters of Noah? And in context of what he's talking about. So he's talking about Isaiah and repentance, and the next part is going to, Jerusalem's going to be mm-hmm. rebuilt, and mm-hmm. we're going to have all uh, the bad guys thrown out of Jerusalem, and the Jews will return to doing God's laws, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, but he says... Like the waters of Noah, just as I swore to Noah that Noah's waters would never again flood the earth. Now, would you like to know what they took that to mean? What who took that to uh, mean? The old Jews. The old Jews. The old Jews. <laughs> the old guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, I guess so. Uh, why is it called waters of Noah? Noah's flood, you might say. But it's because of this. What dis- why would Noah catch the blame for it? Because Noah did not, during the 120 years when he was making the arcs, didn't pray for anybody, didn't tell everybody, hey, this is what's coming, you guys better repent. He just kind of took care of himself and his family. But now, see, we don't, I've never heard that before. I thought the whole time was that Moses preached, that Noah preached to them for 100 years, I that he proclaimed, he warned them, so. and so on. I think they saw him building a big boat. So when they were building a big boat, it might spawn a conversation like, no, what you doing? I'm building a boat. Really? What's a boat? Uh, (laughs) Well, when it rains. Oh, what's rain? Exactly so. uh Actually, the word for the ark uh, is the exact same word that the ark of the covenant is. The exact same word. Really? I've often wondered about that. So the boat is the ark of the covenant. 
So, but it's actually, even in the old Hebrew translations back in Genesis, chapter 6, I believe it is, 6 through 9, it's, it's actually technically called the waters of Noah. He kind of gets the blame for it. So all the ancient Jewish scholars says, well, why is this called, God did it, why is Noah getting the blame? So the idea is that they understand the waters of Noah meant, see, Abraham did something different. Abraham, he prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And he bargained. He said, God, don't wipe out everybody. Come on. And he was, a, he was more concerned. He was doing stuff for other people. Moses, remember when Moses was on the mountain? They said, hey, stand aside, Moses. I'll wipe them all out, and I'll make you the new patriarch. Mm-hmm. And Moses, no, no, I'm not doing that, not doing that. So, you see, they were taking care of other people besides themselves. But the understanding is waters of Noah is because Noah didn't do that. But I thought it said somewhere that Noah did in the New Testament, I believe. It is told to us that Noah indeed did preach to the people. And that he did call them to repent. And he... I'm, I'm sure of it. Well, uh, well, you may be right. If it is, I'm not aware. I can't but, uh, remember exactly where it is. I wish I could now. Uh, we, we all wish you. You yeah, made the hook. We Maybe I can find it in my smart. Oh, I don't have my smartphone with me. Uh, uh, I can look it on here and Google it. Uh, while well, we're at any rate. So anyway, so it goes. But now, why? Why is Isaiah referring to the waters of Noah? I swore that I would never flood the earth again with the Noah's of water, or waters of Noah. Uh-huh. So if you put this in context, it's coming in the section about the restoration of Israel. So he's saying, I'm going, this whole passage is about restoring Israel. And when he restores it, the rest of the nations are, this is really to the Gentile nations. The Messiah mm-hmm. comes, the Gentile nations understand it, they, they are saved, they accept him, they learn from him, all that stuff. But at the same time, Israel is getting restored, and that'll be kind of a shock. So what Isaiah understands this passage means, from now, what's fascinating is when you read a guy like Isaiah, and you see what he understood it to meant, he was much closer to the events than we are. So he understood that God promised that I'm not going to flood the earth and the waters of Noah because nobody prayed. Nobody was helping. Mm-hmm. Noah didn't do it. He did save himself and his family. But he really wasn't doing what Abraham or Moses or the other guys did. So what's fascinating is that Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be rebuilt in the same passage. In fact, he says, indeed, people will fear no one but me. Whoever attacks Israel will fall of their own power. So he's actually saying, and then he goes on in the next chapter, 55, and it says that he will make a covenant with Israel. And this is that famous passage where the controversy is, I will renew it or I'll make a new one, whatever it is. But uh, at any rate, so what we've got is, how are you doing on your research? Uh, it says here in Second Peter chapter two verse five. Uh, okay. Uh, it says here, and God did not spare the ancient world, uh-huh. except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Yes. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Huh. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's Second <laughs> Peter. But then I'm looking here. It says, and evidently, there is some. Uh, 
some did Noah as a preacher of righteousness. He's called a preacher of righteousness. Second Peter two five. Uh, the Greek did Noah warn the world about the coming flood, and uh, we can make a reasonable assumption that Noah preached about the coming flood to his neighbors and well, community. Okay. Yeah, the assumption. The great preacher of righteousness. The folly of what Noah preached, desiring God. How many years did Noah preach? So it, evidently, there is some question. Some. Huh. That's, I find that fascinating. Uh, yeah, because that's uh, that's not what historically <clears throat> they took, but that's interesting. I would have to study it further then, I guess, to oh, see what it says and if there are other passages involved. But I do. I thought I did remember a passage where it talks about Noah preaching to well, uh, did, the he, people. He told during, about the, what you read me just said something about the flood. Warning them of the judgment the, to come. The, yeah. No, it didn't say judgment. He uh-huh. said a warning about a flood. He didn't tell oh, them I to see. repent. I see. And he didn't pray for them. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, what you just read me didn't seem <clears> to say that. Well, there it is. I, it is a very reasonable question to ask, and folks, you can look it up in further. And when the Messiah we're, comes, we're going to ask one of the questions we can ask him. Now, he will explain it. We'll all know it's right. Now, you see, that's why it's important to always ask the Messiah I questions. I wonder why they didn't ask Jesus that. That would have been well, interesting. I don't know, but the light's flashing, and John's so busy on the phone, he doesn't know. Uh, he's probably answering don't you think? Well, well, we'll take that call just as soon as John will turn it over to us. But, yeah, we're wandering all over the place in a way about Isaiah and about the role and the place of the Messiah in the teaching, the preaching of Isaiah. Now, no doubt about it, the writing of Isaiah is taken by Christians, not only now but through centuries and centuries, uh, Handel's Messiah was talking about Isaiah 53, the the suffering servant and the, uh, the stripes with his stripes we healed and all. And in uh, Isaiah 61 is also mentioned. So uh, it's the the book of Isaiah is really a core. It's kind of a foundational book for us as as uh, as you know Gentile believers. It's been one of those books that really helps. I mean, honestly, when I read it, I just saw Jesus all over it. Isaiah fifty-three. You know, you, he was wounded for our transgressions. Sure. He was with his stripes. And that's a fair reading. That's a fair reading. It, it's, in it's fact, just, I'll tell you something. You may have heard that sometimes that the, they'll say in the temple or in the synagogue, fifty-three is not read. You've heard this. I have read that. Well, you've heard that or read that? Okay. Well, anyway, I'll tell you something interesting. Of course, it's in the Bible. Everybody reads it. It's uh-huh. still there. What they're referring to is not one of the half Torahs, one of the prophet readings with uh-huh, the Torah. Uh-huh. And, but I will tell you this. What's interesting is an old Jewish prayer board exists where it was in there. Uh-huh. And the only thing that timely coincides with when it was no not used anymore is when the Muslims conquered Israel. So I'm I'm guessing since that's the time that that prayer book wasn't used after that, uh-huh. it may be that the Muslims said you guys can't do it because at times even Christians, even the Catholic Church, told the report the Jews are portions of the Torah you cannot read in your services. Anyway, but do yeah. you want to take that other question? You bet. Let's do. Let's go and visit with uh, who did you say? Is this Esther? Yes, that's what. Hello, Esther. Hi, Esther. Good to talk with you. Hi. Thanks for, thanks Hi, for calling us. Hi, this. Jacob. Oh, thank you for taking my call. You bet. I was. I got all excited when you guys were talking about Noah, and uh, Jacob was talking about how he wasn't like Moses and he wasn't like Abraham, 
And as it happens, I had done a reading uh, about the the uh, condition of Noah spiritually that he was, and the Bible says very clearly, he was righteous in his generation. Okay, uh-huh. so that when you take that under consideration. You're left with, as the the uh, rabbis taught and the uh, the sages taught, uh, he was righteous in his generation. But if you look at Moses' generation, Noah wouldn't have been considered righteous. And if you look at Abraham's generation, he would not. Again, Noah would not be considered righteous. Why not? Because, as Jacob said, both Moses and Abraham interceded for the people when they were put in peril for their sins. And they, they fell on their faces. They prayed. Noah never did that. He was only concerned about himself. And, yes, the New Testament does say that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. But after 120 years, no one was converted. Wow. So you have to wonder... You know, that is the lousiest preacher that you ever heard of, right? <laughs> now, I didn't say <laughs> that, that but really... I was thinking it, yes. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's. I just wanted to throw that out there because I happen to have read that. But uh-huh, I love uh-huh. that guy. You guys keep on. I'm listening, so. <laughs> Thank you very Please much, Esther. Yeah. That's a yeah. very Bye-bye. interesting so God, observation. So with Noah, God graded on a curve. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I get what she means. And it was isn't there a with a different with a different level of understanding? Uh, doesn't that also bring a different level of of responsibility? Yeah, sure, of course. So maybe that's I, I what is that's being that, alluded sure. to there. I guess. In fact, I know one time I was out in the woods and we were camping. And a friend was with me, and I said uh, I was putting my tennis shoes on before we went to sleep. And they said, "Well, what are you putting your tennis shoes on for?" And I said, "Well, in case a bear comes." And he says, "You're not going to outrun a bear." And I said, "I've only got to outrun you, not the bear." <laughs> not the bear. That's exactly right. So it was a grading on a curve. Well, so I, 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 I suspect that grading on a curve. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I if that's worth. Do we really want to discuss that? Uh, but, but it seems like there were. I've often thought of the fact that there's only one God, one Redeemer, one redemptive plan that God has. But the the plan of God was rolled out progressively. In other words, some people at certain times of history knew more about understanding more of about God and His redemptive plan for mankind, and so on. Than they did in other eras, even in our own time, which we probably live in the golden age, right? I mean, we've got the scriptures and every language, oh, yeah, and we've got, got all the stories, all the testimony, yeah. and all the stories, we and can all look the at stuff. We see, we can put everything in context, and you know, and in sixty-two, I just want to quote this one verse because uh-huh. it's a famous verse. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In fact, John Hagee has it on a wall at his church. Isaiah sixty-two. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it says, "For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be still, until her glory emerges like brilliant light, and her salvation is like a burning torch." Nations will see your victory, and all kings your glory. You will be called on with a new name given by God, and that you will be crowned of beauty in God's hand and a royal diadem crown uh, in the palm of your hand. 
So that's interesting. Actually, John Higgy on a, on a wall has that verse. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it, it, doesn't, it makes sense to me that all of these things could be true at the same time. I'm, I'm not sure any of them are mutually exclusive, but because they're all there in the Scriptures, they must oh, yeah. all be true. And the, so there must be a way of understanding it yeah. that would make sense of each of them. And and that's Uh-oh. what we're seeking to, uh, I hear music. to discover here. Do you hear music? On the Bible Live. Uh, well, could I just say one last thing? Would you please say that? Yeah, I would say, that I would say always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. That's right, folks. And I hope you'll join us again next week for The Bible Live. Thank you. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.